Well, please turn back with me in our Bibles uh, to the book of Genesis and turning to Genesis 32 and looking at verses 22 and following. Genesis 32 at verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. There are many moments in our life that become defining moments that will forever shape us. And uh, this evening, we are looking at one of those defining moments in the life of Jacob. Uh, We have been looking at the life of Jacob together uh, for a number of weeks, and we've been looking at the life of Jacob because we see something of what it means for God's grace to be shown in a person's life. Jacob was a schemer. Jacob was a liar. Jacob was a deceiver. And yet God had chosen to show his mercy uh, to this schemer and to make him a patriarch of the people of God. God would form his people uh, from this sinner. Uh, And we start to see how it is something that is undeserving. God chooses those not because they're more worthy of his grace, but because of his own good pleasure. Before Jacob or Esau were even born, God had decreed that the older would serve the younger, that the younger would be stronger than the older. He would be greater and would be exalted. And really, we've been tracing that out uh, throughout the life of Jacob. But this evening, we're looking at an event that will shape Jacob going forward. It'll be something that Jacob himself will appeal back to, even at the end of his life. He will recall this event. It'll be something, as we read uh, in our passage this evening, that the people of Israel will continue to look back on as well. It would have a formative influence as to how they thought of themselves 
and how they moved forward in faith. But it is also an intriguing event. This, this event uh, is mysterious. Uh, it is um, intriguing. Uh, Martin Luther said it's one of the most obscure passages in the Old Testament. And yet it's so inviting uh, that we long to look at it. Uh, this is an exciting event that takes place in Jacob's life. But it also challenges our view of God. It challenges our view of the life of faith. And it really shows us something of how the life of faith is lived. We want to look at uh, this chapter this evening and we want to see that because God is the source of all blessings, that we need to cling to him if we are to experience them. We want to think about this chapter in three thoughts. We want to think about the fear of Jacob. We want to think about the wrestling of Jacob. And then finally, we want to think about the blessing of Jacob. Well, first, uh, there is the fear of Jacob. Jacob, as we already mentioned, was someone uh, who had a checkered past. Uh, He had deceived uh, his brother. He had deceived his father. Jacob had uh, taken advantage of his brother when he was in a vulnerable situation. He's, he really pressured him to give up his birthright. He, he deceived his father by pretending to be his brother Esau. And really, Jacob was the cause of that breakdown in the family. He was driven out of the land, sent away by his father. His brother wanted to kill him. That was 20 years ago. And yet we see this evening as Jacob is making his way back to that land of Canaan, as he is coming now closer to his kindred, the question emerges, what will that relationship be like now that 20 years have passed? Does time heal all wounds? Or is there a a growing resentment? Will there be a vengeful spirit from his brother? Will he still hate him and want to kill him? And as Jacob is making his way back, one of the intriguing things about uh, this chapter is actually in the opening verses, something that we could easily miss because of what comes later on. But it tells us there at the beginning of the chapter that as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And so he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Uh, Jacob had been given a visible sign that as he's making his way towards the land of Canaan, God shows him by visible sign of his presence. That as he's going into this daunting situation, God is accompanying him. And so Jacob is not to live in fear, but rather to trust in the Lord. This is something that God has done at other times in history, where he makes his presence known. But oftentimes, the people of God have to rely on God's word, that God's power and God's uh, presence is with them. But here, Jacob is given uh, this this sign, which seems to be significant uh, because of how it shapes what happens next, how he responds to what he sees. And then it tells us after this that Jacob sent messengers uh, ahead of him to his brother Esau, Uh, And he instructed uh, them to tell Esau uh, that he was coming. Notice what it says. Thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, 
Thus says your servant Jacob. Uh, Jacob is not simply using flattering language here. He's also speaking in a way that seems to reverse the oracle of the Lord, which spoke of his greatness over his brother. Uh, Jacob here is really highlighting and trying to speak in a winsome way uh, towards his brother uh, to gain uh, his favor. Uh, And he is longing uh, that his brother would no longer hold a grudge against him. But when the messengers returned, they told Jacob that Esau was coming out to meet him with 400 men. That wasn't exactly a warm welcome uh, uh, to Jacob. That seemed to be a small army that was coming out to get vengeance. And so it tells us there uh, in multiple ways that Jacob is filled with fear. He's greatly distressed. He's afraid. And you start to see in all the things that Jacob is doing, there's fear woven into it. He begins to make plans about dividing his camp because if one camp is attacked, then the other one might escape. Uh, Jacob is trying to think how to to respond to that situation. It tells us that uh, in verse 9 that he then prayed to the Lord in his distress. And his prayer uh, is taking God's word and applying it back to him. God, you said... You told me to come back. You told me that you would surely do good to me. And so he's bringing God's word back to God, uh, even as he faces this distressful situation. As Derek Kidner points out, that shows something at least of the, the mindset of Jacob. He's working on the basis of God's word here. He is, he is bringing God's word back to him. And that is an encouragement to us that when we are in distress that we should be going to God with God's word and with God's promises. But Jacob not only makes that initial plan uh, of separating his group, not only does he pray to the Lord, uh, but you see that Jacob is, uh, 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 he is responding to uh, this development of Esau coming out uh, to meet him. One commentator, Ian DeGuid, uh, makes the following statement. He says, it is so hard to be trying to do the right thing and to resolve broken relationships and then to have it all blow up in your face. Yet isn't it only at such times that you find out why are you trying to do that thing? Is it so that you feel better about yourself or is it because you are trying to honor God's will? Are you trying to remove simply a guilty conscience Or are you trying to do what the Lord would have you do in that situation? Jacob is being drawn into something at this point where he is going to face his brother. And Jacob is wanting things to be right with his brother. And yet it also calls attention why is it that Jacob is moving forward? Is he trusting the Lord and wanting to honor God? Or is he simply wanting to no longer be hounded for his past? And that's true in our own lives. We can have many relationships break down, families that we don't speak with. And even when we do try to do what's right in those situations, ultimately the question is, is are we trying to honor the Lord in them, even when it blows up in our face? That has to be the basis for how we move forward and not simply retaliating uh, blow for blow and holding grudges ultimately for how things blow up. If our prime motivation is to please God, 
then it will give us that ammunition. It will give us that encouragement to persevere, even when it brings nothing but trouble. So Jacob here uh, makes a plan. He separates his camp. He prays to the Lord, asking the Lord for uh, deliverance, knowing that this is something uh, uh, dangerous that he's now facing. But Jacob also makes a second plan. In verses 13 and following, uh, he then decides he's going to give a gift to his brother. That word gift could be uh, translated as an offering, a tribute. Uh, it's an offering because it is meant to appease his brother. It's, a, it's an offering of 500 animals, 550 animals. That's no small offering. But he's trying to really satisfy his brother so that he no longer hates him. So that he would no longer hold this grudge against him. And so with all of this, uh, Jacob is trying to think how to move forward, how to get through this event. And then it tells us that he sends his family across the river Jabbok. And whatever his motives are, it is apparent that he was left alone on that night. So the whole scene is really one in which there is a great distress on Jacob's part. He is going to face a man who wanted to kill him. He's going to face the weight of his past, which he ran away from. He's going to face his own guilt. And as he's doing that, he is filled with distress and fear. But it's on this evening that Jacob would have a wrestling match that he would forever remember. It tells us that on that night when he was alone, that he uh, was really uh, wrapped up into uh, a battle. It says in verse 24 that Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, if you have siblings, then probably at some point you know what it means to wrestle. Uh, You know what it means to wrestle uh, if you're going to survive. Oftentimes there can be spits and spats between brothers and sisters and it may be settled in some kind of a wrestling match. If you don't have siblings or if your siblings never would wrestle you, then you probably have seen Olympic wrestling or college wrestling. But one of the most basic things about wrestling is is that it is a total body commitment. It is a total person commitment. That when a person wrestles, it's not just their arms. A wrestling match is not decided by your arm strength. A wrestling match is decided by the one who is totally committed. Because a wrestler uses not just their arms, but they use their legs. The strength of their legs. They use their mind because they have a good distribution of their weight. They use their head even to press against their opponent. Sometimes when you watch wrestlers or you watch uh, kids wrestling one another, you see them even clutching or clenching their teeth as their, their whole body is involved in this. They're, they're 100% in. And here in this event of Jacob's life, he's involved in a wrestling match, but it's a total body commitment, mind and body, as he is engaged with a match trying to ultimately survive. And it tells us here uh, not much about this match uh, other than that he fights with a mysterious opponent uh, until the breaking of day. 
It tells us that they, they wrestle on and on, but it doesn't tell us exactly who this man was that attacked Jacob. His identity is hidden by the obscurity of the darkness. But Jacob must have suspected what? He was just about to cross into the land of Canaan. He hears that his brother is coming to approach him. In the darkness of the night, who would he expect to be the one who has attacked him but his own brother? And so now Jacob is in a wrestling match, but it's not a robber that he's afraid of. He would no doubt be thinking this is his brother trying to kill him. And so now Jacob is wrestling for his life. This is, this is all in. And so just as we think about a physical wrestling match involving your whole person, if you're going to come out on top, Jacob is here totally committed in this wrestling match that he never himself in, uh, initiated. Instead, he is attacked, as it were, in the night. And we're told that this wrestling match lasted until the breaking of the day, which indicates that it was a long and arduous bout. So he has a mysterious opponent. The only thing that is said about him is that it was a man. But the second thing that is told about this wrestling match is not only was his opponent mysterious, but that his opponent was superior. After this long and arduous wrestling match, it tells us that when he did not prevail over Jacob, in verse 25, it says, when he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. If you wrestle with someone, no matter how strong you are, you are not going to put out their hip by striking their thigh. That's not the kind of thing that you expect to see in a wrestling match. In other words, Jacob must have become suspicious that what he was wrestling with wasn't simply a robber. It wasn't simply Esau. This was a divine wrestling match with someone much stronger than himself. That with one blow, Jacob's physical strength was effectively crippled. He can no longer position himself. He can no longer stand. He can no longer take a, a positioning to try and win. But now the only posture Jacob can do is to cling to his opponent, which wrestlers do. But now all he can hope for is survival. He is simply holding on to his opponent. And so Jacob here is in a match where he is reduced uh, in his strength, where he is effectively simply clinging uh, to the one who has attacked him. But then his opponent says, let me go for the day is broken. Evidently, this attack on Jacob was a planned attack. It was meant to happen at night. But more than that, it was one that was not intended to destroy Jacob. Because now that Jacob is vulnerable, if he can't move, if he can't get up, now that he's vulnerable, why would his opponent leave? But this opponent doesn't want to be disclosed. And so he says, let me go for the day is broken. And so this wrestling match is suddenly about something more than physical strength. This isn't about stealing someone's property. This isn't about vengeance of a brother. This mysterious opponent has come to teach a lesson to Jacob. 
And in this moment, we are told that Jacob must have been suspicious. That when he begins to say what he's saying in this conversation, is he still even thinking about Esau? Thinking that Esau is the one that can bless him? Or has Jacob come to realize that the one who has struck his hip is greater than him? That he's in God's camp and that this must be one of God's messengers that has come against him. And so he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The one who has been attacking Jacob uh, 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 is uh, then uh, told that uh, or pleaded with to give a blessing. It's important to realize that when Jacob says this, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob is not saying those words from a position of dominance. Sometimes when people wrestle, uh, you might have one person who twists the other person's arm. Or they might get the person in a headlock. And once they're in a headlock, they're really limited in what they can do. Jacob is not saying these words, though, as if he has their arm twisted and he's making the person cry out, uncle. When Jacob says, I won't let you go unless you bless me, he is saying that from a position of weakness because he doesn't have the strength, because he doesn't have the control. That's what the the prophet Hosea uh, highlights in his own prophecy. Hosea highlights uh, that when Jacob said these words, he said them weeping as he sought favor. He said those words choked with emotion as he was recognizing his desperate situation. I need your blessing and I don't have it all myself. I'm not self-sufficient. And so as the late Douglas Macmillan, the free church minister, says, Jacob's longing for blessing here flows not out of a sense of his strength, but out of an awareness of his complete weakness. And the man asks him, what is your name? And he's forced to say Jacob. He wouldn't say that to his father. He hid his identity from his father when he pretended to be Esau. But now he has to confess who he truly is. Now he has to confess his true nature as one who grasps at things that are beyond him. One who seizes things that are not his. Jacob has to own his own nature even as he identifies himself as Jacob. But Jacob's opponent here uh, shows an awareness of Jacob's life story. Not only has he striven with men, Laban, Esau, Isaac, but he's also striven with God. Namely that Jacob's wrestling opponent here was no mere man. And it was no mere messenger of God. But that ultimately Jacob was wrestling with God himself. And so Jacob, as he reflected on this event later on, would rename the place calling it Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and yet I have been delivered. Jacob was preparing uh, to return to his kindred, and the weight of his past was mounting up on him. The news of Esau's approach with 400 men gripped him with fear, and then the promises of God seemed faint and removed, distant. That vision that he saw of the messengers of God that told him this is God's camp seemed like a faded memory. 
But now, in and through this wrestling match, Jacob is realizing uh, and being confronted with the fact that God is near. We can live our lives, especially when we're going through hard times, thinking that God is far off. But oftentimes people can affirm the existence of God. They just can't affirm the involvement of God. They have a mindset that God would never involve himself in this world. But the Bible teaches that the God who exists is a God who draws near. Much closer than we would ever imagine. And here as Jacob is wrestling with this stranger in the darkness... He ultimately comes away saying, I saw the face of God and I was delivered. Meaning by that he had, he had God's presence with him and yet he was not destroyed. Jacob was to come away from this realizing uh, that God was as close as humanly imaginable. If Jacob could have an encounter with God and come away blessed, then he could face Esau directly. And knowing his God would protect him. The God who was able to dislocate his hip was not poised to destroy him, but enabled him to prevail and to be blessed. He was to move forward knowing that God strives, and if God is with him, then he will be blessed. And so Jacob is given a new identity. So he has a new status, a new direction in life. He is now to be known as one who strives with God. That he is one who lives before the living God and with reference to the living God. And that is to shape his life. Despite his own wrongdoings, the Lord drew near not to destroy Jacob, but to cause Jacob to cling to him, to depend on him for blessing rather than his own self-sufficiency. One of the keys of thinking about this whole event is, is that Jacob is crossing the river Jabbok. He is coming to the land of Canaan. And as Jacob is entering the promised land, it is only by depending on God that he can inherit the blessings that are promised to him. What was Israel to learn from this event? As they re reflected on it, as they thought about it, they were to realize that even as they came to enter the promised land, that it would only be by depending on the Lord, clinging to God, that they could ever inherit God's blessings. Even later in Israel's history, when the, the Lord promised that he would restore the people to the land, the prophet Zechariah said that it would happen not by your own strength, but by the Lord's own strike, uh, strength, for the Lord strives for his people. And so there's this recognition that one who strives with God is to find strength because God strives for his people. God is with them and is fighting for them. But we see something here as well uh, uh, of how uh, it looks to live by faith. That clinging to the Lord uh, is the, the, the posture of faith. And that is how we are to face the sins of the past and to find God's blessing in the present. We cannot save ourselves but must be fully committed to the Lord if we are to know his blessings. So on the one hand, we're told that we must seek the kingdom of God. We are to strive to enter through the narrow door, that it is only by clinging to Jesus who came as close as possible 
uh, to us by taking on a human nature that we can know and be blessed. How did Jacob prevail against this stranger in the night? How did he prevail with God? It's because God enabled him. That is, that as Jacob was fully committed, the Lord was pleased to allow him and to enable him to prevail and to be victorious, even as he came away crippled. And so it is in the life of faith, that the life of faith is not a, a passive thing. It is a, a whole person endeavor, that we are to seek God, body and soul, first, the kingdom of God. We are to live committed to the Lord. With every fiber of our being, we are to strive to enter by the narrow gate, looking to Christ as the only one that can save us, recognizing who Jesus is and recognizing the reality of sin. We sang there from Psalm 38 about how our sins can weigh us down, that they can be an irritant to us. When we recognize the the problem of sin, it can unsettle a person, especially when we think about standing before God. Even as uh, our life draws to an end, there can be a heightening of fears, but we are to trust in the Lord who came near, the one who became man in order to communicate God's blessing and to give us a new identity in Christ. Remember, Jesus himself says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. There is no entering into God's kingdom apart from clinging as a child clings. Apart from a dependence on God, there is no blessing. If Jacob is to be blessed, it's not by his own cunning his own planning, his own scheming. He won't be able to say, I appeased Esau. He won't be able to say, I set everything right about the past. Jacob will only be able to say, God was with me. And then he can face the brokenness of his relationships. If the Lord is with him, then he can move forward in faith. The life of faith is one that is marked by weakness. And so Jacob comes away from this whole event crippled. He walks away with a limp. But oftentimes that is what the life of faith looks like. It's not one of strength and self-sufficiency. The believer is one who has been broken. But they've been broken so that they look to God for strength. That is the way that Jacob lives. And that is also the way that believers are to live in Christ. That we are willing to be uh, made nothing so that Christ might be made everything. It tells us there at the end that the people of Israel continue to reflect on this event. It tells us in verse 32 that therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket. Because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. It tells us uh, that they continue to remember that. Every time an animal was butchered, there would be an avoidance of eating part of that animal, a remembrance of what had happened. 
Israel was to realize that deliverance came by God's grace. They were to realize that Jacob was blessed, but he was also broken first. They were to realize that Jacob was made weak before he was made strong. And the people of God are to live with that rhythm. That it is their dependence that leads them ultimately to their honoring and their blessing. It's interesting even thinking about the parallels here with what Israel did with what happened to Jacob. With what New Covenant Christians do with the Lord's Supper. Christians remember the death of Jesus as we receive the the bread and the wine. But as we do that, we are likewise remembering that, that it's brokenness that leads to blessing. It's a recognition that we are not self-sufficient that causes us to cling to Christ. And so at the end of the day, what is it that characterizes Jacob? It is, it is this saying, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And for us tonight, are you at a place where you can say, I need God's blessing because I know I'm a sinner? Are you at a place where you recognize that you cannot make things right yourself? Are you at a place where you recognize I must have Jesus because I know who he is? I recognize what he has done and I'm clinging to him just like a wrestler who has no strength. I need him. That's what faith is all about. Faith is clinging to what we know we need. And the good news is is that Jesus is offered to all who will call on him. And so if you recognize that you are a sinner before God, if you recognize that you need God's blessing and you can't do it yourself, the good news is is that if you trust in Christ, you are blessed. That just as Jacob can come into the land of Canaan, just as Israel can come into the land of promise, just in such a way, the believer comes into the kingdom of God clinging to Christ in a posture of weakness but prevailing because of God's enablement. That's the life of Jacob. That's the life of grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about Jacob's wrestling that we would see how it empties us of all self-sufficiency that we would recognize that there is nothing in our own hands that can bring about our deliverance, but that we must cling simply to the cross. And so we pray, Lord, that we would see in Jesus Christ the source of all blessing, that we would know the one who is almighty is the one who can enable us to prevail. And we pray, Lord, that even as you know our life story, both our past failings and also our future, We pray, Lord, that we would find hope and comfort 
in the God of all uh, uh, grace. So go before us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.